Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 32 of The Revenge of Kang. This page continues chapter 11, The Test of Courage, which means that we're still in the main Kokri complex and therefore still surrounded by snakes. And furthermore, those snakes are acid snakes. It's a bad time for our heroes, a bad time clearly for the fallen Kokri society, which we now know to be the successor society to the society of the Quokrillians who originally inhabited this shitty pocket dimension, but then saw snakes, got scared, and forgot culture. It's a bad day uh, uh, for podcasting, frankly. It's a dungeon crawl. We got all three teams in the same place. There's a lot to keep track of. This is a re-recording of some audio that was unfortunately lost. And this is my first recording after my big move uh, from Portland, Oregon to Ashland, Oregon, which I will comment upon further, perhaps, after it is completed. Uh, we are now entering month two of moving day. Uh, I continue to pay rent on two apartments. Uh, I cannot receive mail but I'm not here to complain. I'm not here to whine to you. It's all about perspective. I'm choosing to see the cup as half full. Or, more to the point, I'm choosing to see the Krabbies as half full. Yes, Krabbies and I have been reunited after a long time apart, thanks to listener Neil, who very kindly sent me some Krabbies when they were out of my reach. So I've got uh, I've got my Krabbies in hand. I've got some decent audio equipment here, which means, fingers crossed, this episode is going to sound okay despite being recorded in a mostly empty room. Uh, since my furniture, you know, my couch, all my comfortable chairs, we're not here to, we're not here to talk about seating arrangements. We're here to focus on the positive in contrast to the Kokri who abandoned this complex, despite the fact that it contains everything they needed to fight back against the snakes, turn around the precipitous decline of their civilization and avoid a fate worse than death as a bunch of obnoxious big brain jungle stereotypes. If only they had looked on the positive side they would have seen that there was another way. That's what I want to focus on today. As we continue our tour through the main complex, I'm going to take you through the whole floor, just like yesterday. Once again, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash megadumbcast. In a public post, free for everyone, I'll post the map of this level of the complex so that you can follow along. And as we go, I want to point out all of the wonderful gifts that the Kokri had that could have helped them break out of this collective funk. Let's pick up where we left off. In the computer lab, where our heroes discovered the highly underwhelming secret of the Kokri, perhaps more importantly than that secret, the computer lab also contains stairs. And so our heroes are able to continue into Snake House by going down to the lower level and hopefully finding the lower exit uh, so that they can leave the main complex and prove their innocence, work on finding a way out of this pocket dimension, whatever their motives are. Let's pick up with those stairs. Quote, the corridor surrounding the stairs is blanketed by a thick, nauseous gas leaking out of a nearby vent. The gas inflicts five points of health damage per round on everyone standing near the stairway. It requires a successful incredible intensity strength feat to seal the vent. The stairs are sealed off in a locked transparent booth, incredible strength material. The lock is a simple combination mechanism. So if we were focusing on the negative, we would say, The progenitors of the Kokri, noted practitioners of sadistic architecture, Design this place with one one-way entrance, one one-way exit, 
and one sealed combination locked stairway between the two levels, which happens to be placed next to the poison stinky gas vent. I'm not proposing that it was continually leaking poison stinky gas, although I wouldn't put that past these architects. They were monsters. I'm just saying it's pumping out stinky gas now, which means it's connected to some potential source of stinky gas, which should perhaps have been a concern, given that, you know, this is the only way to escape the building, and so in the event of a gas leak, you'd have the poison gas spraying out in the faces of anyone trying to use the escape route. But let's look on the positive side. These stairs may be locked, but it's an unbelievably shitty lock. Quote, Inform the players that the combination is a three-digit sequence in which the digits 1, 2, and 3 are each used once, and ask them to dial in a guess. The correct combination is 3, 1, 2. With each new guess they must dial, take another round. And thus, anyone standing near the stairway takes another five points of damage if the heroes have not sealed off the vent. Anyone forcing open the panel housing the lock mechanism and attempting to analyze its circuitry, requiring a good intensity strength feat followed by an excellent intensity reason feat, realizes that the first digit is a 3 with a green result or better, and that the second digit is a 1 with a yellow result or better, and that the third digit is a 2 with a red result or better. As with the laser screen that our heroes encountered before, this is a security system with flaws, designed seemingly more to annoy intruders and deplete their resources rather than actually stop them. First of all, obviously, this isn't a normal combination lock. I don't know what the mechanism looks like. I guess maybe it looks like some kind of sliding puzzle or something like that, because the available digits are 1, 2, and 3, but each one is only used once. So there are, in fact, only six possible combinations to this lock. So this is a lock that can be brute forced in, I would say, under 20 seconds on average, 36 seconds maximum. And there is no uh, penalty or drawback to entering a wrong combination, except for the semi-foreseeable fact that in an emergency situation, there could be poison gas shooting out at you while you do this. If it weren't for that gas, brute force guessing would be easily sufficient to get past it. As it stands, for those who don't want to resort to brute force guessing, you can use your brain on this. You can show off your prowess in the activities of circuitry analysis and panel pulling off, but that's going to require you to make a good intensity strength feed, then an excellent intensity reason feed, and the result of those two rolls will be, let's say you have a remarkable reason, to eliminate 2.95 of these six possibilities, which is only 0.95 more possibilities than you would eliminate by using those turns to guess, assuming that you make your good intensity strength roll, which unless you have monstrous plus strength, you have no better than a 3 in 4 chance of doing. Now, of course, you could absolutely ace it. You could nail that panel pulling roll and nail that circuitry analysis roll with a red result, uh, but in this event, the red result would be no better than the yellow result, because once you've established that 3 is the first digit and 1 is the second digit, 2 is the only remaining digit you can enter, uh, so that red result that tells you the answer is 2 is not so useful. But on the upside, this is a great way to spend karma pointlessly for a better result in a way that doesn't help you at all, uh, only it's your fault. You're fucking yourself over. That's the silver lining. You get fucked and you're to blame. Optimism. Anyway, our heroes can get past this however they want. On the Misfits, Silver Siren doesn't breathe. For the Secret Zoomers, it'll be no problem to bust down that glass with Extra's Scream Attack. And between Troopa's Intelligence and Power Armor, they could solve this either through Brute Force or the other kind of Brute Force. And on the Furies, I mean, it almost goes without saying, but in addition to being just about strong enough and definitely smart enough to solve this puzzle... Iron Blood is also highly resistant to poison due to his blood's high iron content, so no problems there. It is a security device, and indeed a dungeon design device, intended only to slow us down and waste our time, as a quick look at my clock indicates, it has. Beyond the stairs, on the second level, our heroes once again find themselves in a hallway. This level has the same layout 
as the level above, except for slight differences in the way the rooms on the outer ring are subdivided. Once our heroes emerge into this second hallway, there's a door right in front of them, and that door leads to the electronics lab. Quote, this area once housed a simple electronics laboratory that, unlike the rest of the complex, remains partially functional. One notable item present in the electronics lab is a 500-foot-long insulated cable that lies coiled in a corner. Excellent strength material. You can also assume that all of the parts and tools that the PCs will need for any quick kit-bashing attempts that they might wish to try can be found here. As you may perhaps have guessed, it's really the 500-foot-long insulated cable of excellent strength uh, <laughs> that is plot-relevant in this room, but it also has whatever else the players might need, and we're going to take advantage of that. In celebration of the human spirit today, in, in, in celebration of the human spirit of optimism, boldness, self-improvement, resourcefulness, and implicitly in contrast to the Kokri's extreme quittingness, I've chosen today to be the day when Trupa of the Secret Zoomers goes ahead with their plan to upgrade their armor and take on the new hero identity of Molten Core. As you know, if you're a supporter on Patreon and you've been keeping up with the TVA archives, Trupa found the Trupa armor. Uh, it was created by their Uncle Max, who was more of an 80s kid and video game buff. That's not really Nev's thing, but Nev is into niche Tumblr-style internet aesthetics, and Molten Core fits the bill. I assume these upgrades are being paid for with Karma, so there's no need to pay the outlandish Karma cost for kit bashing. It's mostly an aesthetic change, a little bit of a Karma expenditure for perhaps some new or upgraded powers, but mostly it's just about Nev being a little more comfortable in their own power armor. Today is a day for celebration. I give you Molten Core. Anyway, getting back to the Kokri, like Nev, the hero formerly known as Trupa, the Kokri had all kinds of options in this one room. If we're to assume that anything the heroes need to kitbash basically whatever they want is in this room, think of the tremendous resource this represents to the Kokri, who are more technologically advanced at that time than modern-day humans are, clearly, who are technological specialists. They were working here in a laboratory with this equipment. It's from their native culture, so there's no learning curve. Whatever imaginative solution to two small floors full of snakes the Kokri had chosen to come up with, they could have found whatever equipment they needed here to implement that solution. So that's the first thing the Kokri had going for them, and indeed have going for them, if they should ever choose to actually come in here for non-execution purposes. A fully stocked electronics lab. Anyway, once our heroes have checked around in here to see that it is a fully stocked electronics laboratory containing blah, 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 a 500-foot-long insulated cable of excellent material strength, blah, 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 and that's it, they will then move on. And at this point, our heroes face much the same dilemma as upstairs. They can either choose to go down the hallway to the right from the door to the electronics lab or to the left, and either way, they face a hazard right in front of the next door of interest. If our heroes turn right, they encounter slime. This slime is found right outside of a door, which we will soon find is in front of a bio lab. Quote, after the complex was overrun, one of the odd biological experiments went out of control, producing a thick, slimy fungus which over the last several hundred years has overgrown the entire lab and a large portion of the corridor outside the lab. Anyone stepping on this fungus triggers the release of toxic spores, which, if inhaled, cause a character's fighting, strength, and agility ranks to all drop by one column shift. This will last until the character leaves the complex, and a single release of the spores will affect everyone standing in the hallway to the left of the power supply chamber. Allow everyone specifically stating they are holding their breath as soon as you announce that the spores are released to make an excellent intensity intuition feat roll to determine whether or not they were able to react in time. 
Now, there's not even any mention of what's in this biolab. Like, once you go in the door, it's just a biolab, and apparently there's nothing else of interest, or the author would have mentioned it. The thing of interest here is the fungus itself. There's slime when you walk up to the door. If anybody steps on it or touches it, then it lets these spores out. And if anybody immediately says they hold their breath, then and only then they can make an excellent intensity intuition roll to hold their breath in time and not suffer a minus one column shift to fighting strength and agility until they leave the complex. Please note that these effects stacking with bugitis for those suffering from that ailment might further deplete resources for those who really can't afford it. Notably, all ears might end up with uh, strength sinking below shift zero, which I don't think can kill him, but I can't imagine it's good for him either. Other stats that might end up reduced to shift zero here, if things had gone differently, would be Ronda de la Cruz's fighting, Glass Cannon's agility, Advika Jaw's agility, Short Out's agility. So real potential to wreck teams here. Uh, it's just lucky that it didn't work out that way. So that's good luck for us. And this could have been equally good luck for the Kokri. Granted, this fungus is loose now, and gathering it would have been difficult. But this experiment didn't go out of control immediately. This fungus is an experimental design of the pre-Snake Day Kokri. It's a fungus-based inhalation poison that, unless you hold your breath, automatically, and with no save of any kind, reduces all your physical stats except for endurance by one column shift. You know who has at least one feeble physical stat, except a striking number of the heroes I created? Acid snakes. Acid snakes have a strength of two, a strength of feeble, much like all ears. If it is true, as I've been assuming, that if you have your feeble strength column shifted down, then you can't move, this fungus would paralyze any snake who inhales it. And it was sitting right there in the biolab, along with fake Kokri God knows what other delightful bioweapons. So the Kokri had all their technological skills, they had their electronics lab, and they had biological goddamn weapons sitting here ready to go, already snake adjacent. Truly, they had everything going for them. For them, if they had thought or cared to use it against the acid snake menace, this fungus would have been a great boon. Uh, for player characters, it may turn out to be another miserable speed bump, standing in front, incidentally, of another empty room. If our heroes elect to go the other way, then rather than encountering a puddle of slime, they encounter a puddle of fluid. So rich and varied tapestry, this main complex. Quote, Covering the floor in this area is a huge puddle of pink fluid stretching across the entire width of the corridor. The fluid leaked out of a pipe in the ceiling and was once used in the complex's cooling system. Resting in the puddle on the left side of the corridor are two bare live wires running down the wall, though the PCs only detect the wires if one of them is able to pass a good intensity intuition feet roll. Anyone walking through the puddle takes excellent electrical damage. The puddle is one area wide. So it's a puddle of coolant with a live wire that happens to be in it. Given that everybody who looks at it presumably gets to roll, none of our hero teams are going to have any difficulty noticing that live wire, so nobody's going to get electrocuted. This is a non-hazard, really, at least for our teams. This hazard stands in front of the door to the control room. Quote, This room houses four panels full of dilapidated switches and levers. All of the security and atmospheric functions of the complex were once controlled from here, but only the security panel is still functional. Anyone looking at panel number three discovers the security panel and realizes there is an anti-intruder screen on the back door identical to the one the heroes encountered when they entered the complex. The screen can be shut off with a successful typical intensity reason feat roll. Truly an exciting reward, worthy of that time that we noticed there was a live wire in that pink puddle and then moved the wire with a stick before walking past. Whether our heroes decide to pass by the slime puddle or the completely different and distinct challenge of the fluid puddle, they may move on, in either case past yet another empty storage room where there's nothing except maybe another goddamn acid snake, and this is when our heroes reach the Nutrient Center. 
But first, let's talk about the power supply room. It's in the middle of this level. There's no door listed for it. The way that it's attached to the stairs is very confusing to me. This may be my bad. It just may be that I'm not good at reading blueprints. I don't understand how you're supposed to get into the power supply, but presumably you're supposed to be able to get into the power supply. So let's assume our heroes found a way and talk about that first. Power supply, quote, this area houses a power unit identical to the one that the heroes saw on level three of the spire. See chapter five. The power supply is still functional. If the heroes pass the necessary rolls to analyze this particular unit, they find the point of origin of power lies along the line skewed 100 degrees from the western vertical in relation to the complex. Now I know, you can tell, I can tell, everybody can tell. The author is jerking off as he writes this. Just try not to think about it. Quote, If the players are unable to find this line on the map, help them out and draw it for them. Their characters are automatically able to find the line. The correct line is labeled line 2 on the judge's map of the pocket dimension located on the inside of the cover. Once the heroes have found this bearing, they should be able to locate the hidden power source by finding the point at which it intersects with the line they drew in back at the spire. If the heroes have not yet analyzed the power unit at the spire, you might have to encourage them to return and do so. So just in case (laughs) our heroes did not make the reason roll to realize there was anything happening at the spire and remain clueless as to why you railroaded them into walking through it, you might need to at this point just kind of, hey, hey, I noticed you got a line drawn on that map there. Yeah, I see that that line is correct. I was checking it out to make sure it's correct. It's correct. You know, if you had one more line, you could, I don't know, triangulate something. I don't know if you noticed, but over on the horizon, there's that spire, that big bulging spire. Maybe if you went over there, looked around for a power supply, you could detect the direction, the power coming in there. If you could find a power supply by some chance. Once you had two lines on that map, then if you wanted to get out a pen, maybe I could hold your hand while you do it and you could you could draw a line along that map 140 degrees, nice and gently together. We'll just draw that line. That's going to form a real nice triangle on that map. I assume this is the way you're supposed to come with the players with this, because otherwise, what the fuck are you supposed to do? When they cluelessly write down this information and they're like, Okay, well, it's told us the direction we're supposed to go, so I guess we should just go in that direction. And you're like, wait, what if potentially there's somewhere else on this map where there's another power supply? If you could find that power supply, then you could also calculate the angle the power is coming at that location, and then you'd be able to triangulate. So then you'd know specifically the range as well as the direction toward your destination, because that's information you might need later, despite the fact that this pocket dimension is the size of a Costco. Anyway, that's all that's in this room, the power supply. So there was nothing in the bio lab except literal biological weapons and everything that a bioscientist would need to solve the snake problem. There was nothing in the electronics lab except all the equipment any tech-oriented character would need to create an invention to deal with the snake problem. A tech-oriented character like, for example, any of the Kokri who worked here pre-snake day. There was nothing in the control room at this point since all of the security and atmospheric functions of the complex that were once controlled from there and would have been immensely successful in getting an unwanted life form out of the building uh, have since rotted away. I mean, except for the powerful burst laser emitters used as a security device that could easily have been cannibalized to create laser weapons that might have been useful in eliminating the snake problem. So now all that remains is to go to the final room on this level, the nutrient center. Quote, large machines in this area used to extract minerals from the ground and process them into a sugary syrup, which the Quaquillians would then process into edible synthetic foodstuffs. These machines still function, but some of the pipes that carried the nutrients have long since rusted away. Let's stop right here for the dumbest thing on this page. Not only does this level of this abandoned fucking building 
contain all the electronic equipment, mechanical equipment, literal biological weapons, security measures, atmospheric controls, everything that Kokri would have needed to solve the snake problem. But you're telling me they became this rangy, desperate hunter-gatherer culture fighting against the miserable fucking elements and the sea serpents and the acid snakes out here in this unfamiliar wild when they had a still-functioning infinite food machine sitting here waiting to feed them if only they could find the bloated psychic fucking kokri balls to come in here and shoo away the snakes how do you get how do you abandon your infinite food machine these first generation kokri they're they're a disgrace to cannibals is what they are let me explain we were talking about cannibals yesterday right sometimes people are forced into cannibalism and look i'm not here to judge cannibals that's not the point of this show and i'm on the record as saying sometimes you got to eat a motherfucker presumably I've had a daily podcast for a long time. I assume I've been recorded saying that at some point. But this happens because people become desperate. People become trapped. People have no other option. You're in an unfamiliar, hostile environment, trapped there, potentially with friends, with family. It's a miserable, horrible situation that people have sometimes found themselves in, and they've done what they needed to do to survive. Similarly, we know about people who, even if they haven't turned to cannibalism, have likewise abandoned their existing life ways and adapted and adopted new ways of survival to fit a hostile environment that they're not familiar with. They don't have existing skills to deal with it. And sometimes that may involve compromises. Sometimes it may involve great losses. And when you line up all these bands of desperate people who found a way to survive in the unlikeliest of places, somewhere on that lineup, you've got the Kokri, who saw snakes, got scared, and let the building with their infinite food machine sit empty because there were snakes in it, while they completely lost their culture, adopting this hard scrabble hunter-gatherer lifestyle in an ecosystem never made to support them. But these are animals and plants that did not evolve alongside the Kokri. This must have been a miserable, hard existence. And meanwhile, here are these pipes in the fucking nutrition center chugging away, just pumping out gallons and gallons of free food. I can't even... The Kokri have everything going for them. Like, I understand that they were the victims of a massive acid snake attack and are separated from their homes and have completely lost all culture. Nonetheless, I think this is a disgusting level of privilege. Compared to desperate cannibals, a disgusting level of privilege. And I know not a lot of people tend to reach for the word disgusting when they're trying to maintain an optimistic outlook, but I'm fucking pissed about my optimistic outlook right now because these Kokri have it all, or they had it all before they let it fucking rot. They're quitters. I'm just going to say it. They're quitters. That's the only way you lose your culture to snakes, unless the snakes were not the real problem. Join me next time. On the last page of this expedition to Snake House, as one final clue reveals the hidden, less bullshit reason for the fall of the Quokrillians on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.